Hi guys, hope everyone is well and welcome to Wavemaker Talks Black and Proud 2021. My name is Toby Sambi and today I'm joined by Paterno, Obina and Andrea. In today's discussion, we regroup for the first time since the Black Lives Matter movement to discuss current events that happened within the past year. We touched on topics such as Euro 2020, for example, and we also discussed changes that we'd like to see within the next year to create a more equal society and a more equal media industry as well. So hi guys, um, welcome back to the Wavemaker podcast. Obviously a year since we kind of caught up um, and did the last one. In terms of our panel today, you're here myself, so Toby Sambi hosting it. I'm a precision manager working within Wavemaker. Hi everyone, hope everyone's doing amazing. So my name is Obina. I am an analyst exec here at Wavemaker and newly Wavemaker Roots lead. So looking forward to move roots forward and meet a lot of amazing people. Hey everyone, um, I'm Andrea, Global Client Operations Director at Wavemaker Global. Excited to be back on the panel. Hey, I'm Pat Odong. I'm a Global Activation Partner at Wavemaker Worldwide. Good to be back. I guess the I guess premise of this podcast, obviously it's been a year since we last spoke. A lot has kind of happened within the past year. So I guess kind of the first question that I really wanted to ask you guys is, do you feel like within the last year, society, well, British society and and uh, that kind of attitudes towards racism, particularly towards black people, has changed? If so, how do you think it's changed? What kind of improvements have you seen? Yeah, a lot has happened over the past year. Actually, the place where uh, where George Floyd was murdered wasn't too far from where I was living originally when I was in the US. It's actually a couple blocks away. So it was quite a, a humbling situation for me when it happened. Coming back to the UK, it's actually been years, been what, I want to say, what, five, six years since I've been back to UK. And then coming back in the middle of all of that, the thing that I was hoping to see really was British society sort of taking responsibility of what has happened and, you know, making a way for themselves to change. And in some ways I've seen that, right? We have, uh, there've been a lot of more groups of like black creators coming together, a lot more entrepreneurship happening. I've seen, I guess, more significant conversation happening, which is great. On the other hand, though, I've also seen that a lot of people still outsource the problem in a way. They kind of still say that the problem is American. It's been weird, right? I, I, I was hoping that more people would say, oh, wait, wait, this is what's happening in the UK. Like me, myself, walking to school, I used to get stopped by the police quite often just going to school because I was wearing a hoodie, right? If you go to the ends anywhere, you'll know that there's a way that people look at people from a certain area in the UK. So I'm in between here. I'm not quite sure how positive the story is yet. On that point as well, why do you think, like your kind of personal opinion, obviously having lived both within the US and the UK, why do you think that rich society tends to outsource it, as you say? Oh, because it's the land of outsourcing stuff, man. <laughs> From labor to spices, like this is what we do. <laughs> but honestly, I don't know. I, I think it's really hard, not just in society, but just generally for one to look at their own thoughts and understand what's happening, right? I guess a key example was with the what happened with the royals, right? Harry going off, marrying an American, a black American. And everything that happened there is sort of Britain, when accused about how they look at black people, sort of said, no, it's not with us. No, it's you guys. There's no racism in the royals. But if you look at the foundation of royalty and racism is innate in it, right? I think it's just people being very, very difficult about looking in with and understanding the spots that are, you know, are on their own nose. It's probably more to it than that. But to me, that's just the biggest thing that comes to mind. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think that's a valid point um, as well. And it's one that I've noticed as well. Um, 
Um, and it is definitely a UK-specific issue as well. Even if you look, look at the issue like police brutality, for example, you look at like Mark Duggan, Rashawn Charles, Edison DaCosta, it's definitely something that happens here as well. So that kind of outsourcing attitude that you mentioned is like really dangerous um, as well. Andre or Pat, it'd be great to hear one of your guys' thoughts on yeah how you think things have progressed since you last caught up um, this time last year. It has progressed loads. I've been Roots has been going since 2018, and the momentum that happened in the last year was huge. In the last, you know, the first six months um, since George Floyd died was murdered. Rather, you know, there's been loads. The momentum has been amazing, much bigger and greater than all of the previous years before. When you know, since Roots has been running, I still get. A little bit frustrated. I don't think enough has happened. I don't think there's enough accountability. There's a lot of ticked boxing, a lot of speeches, a lot of sort of, you know, talking that happens, but I'm still quite frustrated with the lack of action and accountability. Has there been any actions that you have seen that you have liked? Um, I think for me personally, like what Channel 4 did with Black to Front and that kind of initiative, I kind of really like that because like, like you kind of mentioned, it's taking the taking the talk and actually putting it into action. Yeah, yeah, definitely there has been. I mean, the Channel 4 Black to Front was great. But if you went onto Twitter during the Celebrity Goggle Box issue where um, the cast was all black, you will have seen the way the you know t- Twitter was kind of up in up in arms with you know that everybody everyone was black on the show you know they didn't care to figure out that it was for a particular cause and it was a you know a special issue um you know you just have to look at you know the World Cup what happened was it I mean I don't watch football but um it was, was it the uh, World the, Cup or UEFA it, it was the Euros it? but Euros. close enough close enough I know what you're talking about <laughs> whatever happened in the football I mean I felt sick the next day I couldn't even work and it's stuff like that where you feel like yeah we've gone far but actually have we like I literally felt sick I I took a mental health day the next day I couldn't work I couldn't explain things to my kids good stuff has happened but I just think that somehow with the progress that we've made the bad stuff surfacing so much more bad stuff gets surfaced so easily I don't know if that's because of social media because of um you know the age that we live in or what but yeah I feel every two steps forward we take, we take a giant leap backwards somehow. But that's just my view. Pat, do you share the same kind of sentiment of the past year or what are your, what are your views? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's loosely the same. Um, I, I think, I think we're, we're hearing here a couple of fair points, right? There's this worry that things haven't sufficiently changed from where we were previously into where we are now. I think that, honestly, I think there's a need, the need for some kind of reconciliation between what we think should happen and the realities of Britain as it is today. I don't know if the outcome we were looking for out of everything that's happened was mass change. I, I think really the outcome that was necessary was a bit of awareness around where we're at and what Britain really looks like. You know, if we think about the, you know, the goggle box incidents and the UEFA incident that just happened, you know, not to sound jaded, but that's nothing new. You know, that's the kind of stuff that we're used to. There's, there's, you know, part of the reason I don't like football or watch football is, yeah, I really can't be bothered with watching a sport or following it on TV. But I guess the other part of it is, you know, I, I grew up in North London. You know, there's a very strong football scene and you know, there's a lot of hooligans around where I grew up. And there's there's a certain way of following football. There's a certain chant that goes with that, and there's you know there's an environment that goes around it. And actually, you know, if, if I'm honest, that 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 was always scared me a little bit, and I've not really had that much of an interest in it. For you know, for me to see everything that happened around UEFA, I, I guess you know the Euros, yeah, 
you know, it, it just it just feels like another day at the football. You know, I'm glad that people are aware of it. I'm glad that people sort of see it and are sickened by it. For once, it feels like people are actually talking about it because it feels it feels like the conversation around racism in football for a long time was actually starting to fall into you know, the edges. It's just something that people did. It's something that got talked about. It's a bit like the gambling adverts on TV where they tell you not to gamble. It's like you see it, you become completely desensitized to it. And that's where I felt we were getting to. So actually, the fact that people are looking at it and saying, no, this is not acceptable. This is not okay. I think finally we can start to have some sensible conversations about it. Were you surprised by the kind of Euro, I guess, kind of backlash, like the fact that happened or given like what you're saying about football culture and how you grew up, did it not surprise you at all? No, not at all. You know, I, you know, the fact that that got picked on, not at all. They picked, you know, I think they picked on the first thing that they saw. I, I remember, you know, I can't remember what tournament it was, but Beckham being you know, red carded in the middle of a tournament, you know, and the, the, the way that the newspapers talked about him, you know, it was like, you know, 10 men and one you know, horrible little boy, all this stuff, all this nonsense. You know, if, if he had, if he had a different skin color on him, they would have picked on that too. The newspapers ultimately want something to hook onto that will stir up enough outrage and conversation that they can sell more papers. That's just the way that papers are. So, you know, it is what it is, unfortunately, but. I think people are going to more increasingly say that's not acceptable. Yeah, it's hard to kind of like take that as progress, but I guess being very positive here, um, I guess kind of the fact that there was, I guess, like a anti-backlash, that makes sense. Like everyone, like people kind of come with the kind of racism, then it's kind of like sentiment coming back towards that saying, no, that's not right. I guess you could kind of look at that as kind of, you know, awareness and progress. I think, honestly, there's a series of events that need to happen in order for real change to happen, right? In order for the system to come down that benefits from xenophobia, that benefits from racism, benefits from sexism, that benefits from marginalizing people, that benefits from the rage and the demagoguery that's been going on. You know, in order for that to change, I, I think the funding needs to be removed, right? Yeah, you can think of like hundreds of examples where people do things where they almost turn like 180 overnight and why, why do they do that? What are the things that need to happen? And yeah, it, it, part of it's changing attitudes, but also you know, another part of it is making it no longer financially viable. When when it starts to hurt the bottom line, then organizations start to change actually what they do. And you know, in order for it to hurt the bottom line, it needs to stop selling. And in order for it to stop selling, people need to stop being okay with it. In order for people to stop being okay with it, they need to change their minds over time. And you know, it, I, I think it's a slow it's a slow route, right? Our form of difference in the UK is different to what's in the US. Like Obi said, I mean, the US issue is one of violence. And you know, once upon a time, it was like that in the UK. You know, we, we, we watched um, Small Axe, which was like a brilliant series of films, right? If you looked at the treatment of black people in the UK, that was really hard for me to watch. Growing up in 90s Britain, right? Because I was on the back end of that and I still remember it. They actually shot one of the scenes at the bottom of my mum's road, which is a weird scene. Actually seeing the way that people were treated, the conversations, the, like, the, you know, the black kid in school who's got treated as outsider, the people being chased and beaten by the police. I still remember those like wooden junctions and actually you know, that, that feeling of fear like there was a culture around britain that was around you know when the nf and the bmp were really rife everywhere we used to see swastikas on walls and it was just the norm that kind of britain has like tamed down and almost disappeared in fringes racist britain today is a bit more quiet right it, it happens it's like you know i'm not racist but you know i've got black mates but <laughs> you know you're not like those lots but it's it's you know that, that, that's what we're left with today and i think there's a lot that needs to happen to change that underneath the surface. And that, that's, you know, unfortunately, that's not sweeping change. You know, the sweeping change that changes the violence is almost, it was almost like the easy bit. So it's dealing with the stuff that's left over afterwards. And unfortunately, people have changed it into a culture war. I feel like I'm hogging the conversation. But, you know, unfortunately, people have changed it into a bit of a culture war. 
if you think of the challenges that you know black people are suffering, it's it's not far from the challenges that Asian people are suffering, not far from the challenges yeah, gay people are suffering or working class people are suffering. Coming up to this, like, you know, th- th- there's that stat that always comes up uh, every now and then. It's like, you know, white working class boys are falling behind. You know, what is it? What are we going to do about it? The conversations that I found almost strayed into, we're not doing enough to support these people and how can we you know, do more? And it's not, it's, it's not fair what's happening with these like black African kids who's going forward. And it's like... Actually, it's not an us of them situation. It's a system that's not set up to benefit anyone other than a specific group of people, which I won't go into now, but it, it's, it's set up to benefit that group of people. I think together, us, you know, all us marginalized people, us who are not in power, us who are not the advantaged. Uh, I, I think we almost need to start looking after each other a bit better. You know, we need to work across causes a bit better. And only when that happens, we'll start to see the change that we need. So just to add to what Pat was just saying, um, I get reminded of, it was Angela Davis, I think, who said this one time, like oppression, oppression is not done until we're all free or something like that. But it's the idea that so long as there are a group that's been put under, right, there's always going to be some sort of sense of we're all kind of competing for the bottom, if that makes sense. I guess to explain that a bit better, that's something that I found quite interesting and it happens in the UK is what I saw in America. is this idea of like, Black people suffer, right? But what kind of black are you, right? Are you black African? Oh, that's a specific type of suffering. Are you black Caribbean? Oh, that's a specific type of suffering. Who's really suffering the most here though, right? And it's like we're, we're, we're fighting for the bottom. I think if uh, going to what Pat said, if we're able to come together a bit more and understand it's not just that, and then including the Asian community as well, and putting us all together to sort of fight for our collective, not to look at us as minorities, but as all part of the majority, I think that would definitely be a larger change. Exactly. I think there's a lot to be said, right, for purity of cause, right? The, the Black Lives Matter needs to be Black Lives Matter, right? That, that's purity of cause. That needs to be there. But we do need to work better across causes. I don't know what the answer to that is. You know, I, I see situations where we see a type of press and the type of media developing where it's like, that shouldn't exist. In this day and age, that shouldn't be okay. But it, it works because... There's a group who, like you said, are, are feeling like they're at the bottom. They say, like, how do we get this? What's going to change? And there's a group of people who are saying, yeah, it's, it's these people over there that you need to be worried about. And it's like, well, actually, the people you need to worry about are the ones that are telling you. It's those people over there. It's interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. A few things that you guys kind of touched on in that segment that I kind of really liked. Pat, you're talking around how the issues aren't necessarily always kind of like misplaced at times. There's kind of one quote from Makala's book, Natives, which I really liked. It said that a lot of the times racism just misplaced classism. So it's kind of like people actually having classes views, but then kind of linking that to race, which actually I think comes up quite a lot of the time. It's kind of really relevant as well. Something else that you kind of touched on was around kind of media and kind of um, like bottom lines, newspapers, all of that kind of stuff. One thing that I wanted to kind of ask about is obviously newspapers still have a lot of influence and power nowadays, maybe a little less than they would have had, let's say kind of 20 years ago. And I think it's kind of your point about how racism is kind of like changed and I guess evolved. We're seeing a lot of racism on social media nowadays. So you see kind of a lot, again, going back to the Euros, like a lot of kind of like on Twitter or kind of other social platforms as well. Even like a lot of footballers always post screenshots of people in their DMs calling them all kinds of horrible stuff. What do you think should be done around that? Like some people are called for them to have kind of social media like licenses. You have to actually like kind of upload your passport to link it to your account and that kind of thing. So if you are being racist, then your job finds out all of that kind of stuff. Do you guys think those are good initiatives, realistic initiatives or what kind of things would you like to see kind of change and develop in that space as well? I don't know if that's the answer. Sorry to jump in quickly. I, I don't know if the answer is to remove liberties. So it's almost, it's almost in, you know, alongside things like introducing quotas, you know, the intention is good, but the outcome 
not necessarily great. It's much better that you solve the issue rather than try to police it and manage people's liberties. That that will backfire. I don't know if that's the answer at all. No, let's talk about you know, let's talk more about the real problem, right? Where you've got people like Nick Clegg, you know, a former politician who then goes onto Facebook to start to help to run policy. You know, where you've got platforms like TikTok, which you know, meaning well, produces algorithms which effectively show you more and more of the same thing and create a worldview for people who think that actually it's okay to say the certain you know things that they say and feel the way that they feel, and actually get exposed to new forms of. You know, the racism, demagoguery, and the evil on the internet. Like, there's a lot more. There's a lot more to it, and I don't know if is it right to blame people for how organisations and companies are behaving. I completely agree. Completely agree. I don't think the answer is checking and, and watching people's liberties. I just think that that opens a whole can of worms, another can of worms. I think if, if that happens, what's going to happen is that some book, somebody out there is going to make another app and say, hey, this is where you can truly be your true self, right? And then it'll become like the racist Twitter, right? The black market Twitter, where people can say whatever they want. It's, it's a difficult thing, right? Because we're, we're trying to met, merge society, right? What it means to be a social being, social rules with business. Um, because business in this has a weird way, I guess, of pushing society to think in a certain way, right? If we if we keep showing people the same images in advertising, for example, right? What it means to be beautiful. We keep showing people skinny and all of that. And so therefore, or muscles or whatever. And that's, that determines what beautiful is. So I think uh, it's that same thing that we're going to have to, in a way, implement in this conversation, right? How can we, how can businesses make sure that it's profitable uh, to be diverse, right? To show that, to be anti-racism. Um, I think that that's the questions that we're going to have to answer at some point. Is, the, is it the same thing though? Is di- or is it two different paths, diversity and anti-racism? They're two different things. Or do you think it's the same? I think, I like to think of it as like a subsection. Like if you were to put diversity as like a huge umbrella term, right? Who knows what it actually means? But then within it, you have these subsections, right? Of, of different plights. And I think racism exists within that. Uh, because the only reason why it really exists, right? Is because you have different types of people coming together within an environment. And we're trying to, we have prejudices about how we see other people, right? And, and so that's where that whole thing comes from. That's why I still say it's within diversity issues. Hmm. I would, I would say the other way around. I would say that race, I'd switch them around. I would say that racism, you know, is, is the leading thing. And then you've got like diversity is, is a part of that, I would say, because the lack of diversity with brands, you know, or the lack of diversity within companies is due to, you know, structural racism is due to bias is due to everything. So I, I feel like the racism is the start point and the linchpin and then changing, you know, people's bias, changing um, the way people think, etc. that sort of slowly breaks down everything. I don't know. That's just my view. Yeah, I think as you move away from just, I mean, di- diversity on its own is one thing, right? But then it's it's how do you launch the inclusivity part? How do you include others? How do you get people to actively participate and come together. I think that's an interesting and different thing. And it feels like that is the solution to the racism issue. 
you know, once we get start to hear more voices and start once we start to get a complete picture of things, then it really works. But then what does true diversity look like? That's 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 the tough bit because if you don't I think we're in the middle of a, a bit of a problem where we have North versus South and we, we have a very clear, this is a very British problem, right? But if you look at Southeast, Southeast Britain versus the rest of the country, it's very different. And I, you know, I almost wonder like why, you know, how, have we respected that North South divide enough and included those voices to get the diversity that we need to, to make sure that we impact the whole country and not just London. Yeah, kind of speaking on the, I guess, kind of issues around diversity, kind of in particular, I wanted to kind of open up the conversation a bit more and try and talk about, I guess, kind of media specifically, given that we all um, work within media. Um, it's kind of similar to kind of the first question. Um, how do you guys kind of feel that that kind of media industry has changed in the past year? Like, do you think it's changed? Do you feel more comfortable to speak about diversity and anti-racism on a day-to-day basis? Have you seen actually kind of diversity like improve like what are your guys kind of views on how the media industry has kind of changed or not changed in um the past year i guess look there's, there's a lot of ways to look at this um when you say diversity in the industry if you mean my personal experience of what the industry is and what i see as diversity i don't think that's changed i think we're really lucky to be sort of surrounded by a company and people who really believe in diversity nope, they're not perfect at it but they're making their best effort and their best try. And I don't think that's changed. That was always there. It's not as if it, you know, we came away, you know, Black Lives Matter happens and you know, suddenly we have to start this stuff. You know, we were in a good position. We were progressing. It was not brilliant, but it just carried on. So I don't think there's any change. That's neither good nor bad. Um, the broader industry, has it changed? Probably not. Uh, I, I think it still makes money in the same way it does. We've seen the advent of media titles like GB News, I think formulate your own opinion about what you think their their agenda is, you know, but you know you, you've got that come in. But then also on the flip side of it, if I if I look at social media feeds and the, what newspapers are publishing, the language has changed. It is a lot more inclusive. They're publishing different faces and voices, and you know it's, it tends to look and feel different, like you know slightly different, not hugely different, but it's starting to feel different than what it used to. And I think there's a lot more engagement. Uh, there's a change in effort and there's a move in the right direction. It's not wholly different, but you know, it is slightly different. I, I guess we, I guess we haven't gone up a floor, but we've changed rooms. Let's just say. Yeah. That's a nice analogy. Yeah. I, I would, I would agree. I would say that there is more, there, there's also a lot more discussions that are being had. Um, I'm not sure if there's action, but there's lots more discussions. You know, you feel more comfortable with going into a room or, you know, saying actually that, picture doesn't work because of this and there's not enough um you know people of color in this room and stuff like that you feel more comfortable with having that those conversations with senior people um like pat said we were already in a company where this stuff was important but in terms of the industry as a whole yes i i actually feel that there has been change i feel like you it's more there's a lot more thought pieces being written there's a lot more people of color on the tv in adverts you know a couple of years ago the channel 4 you know festival was it a festival what was it toby black to front yeah sorry i lost my train of thought the black to front wouldn't have happened a couple of years ago in primetime tv so i think yeah there, there has been a change 
still not enough of a change, but voices are being listened to and conversations are being had. Yeah, even on your point earlier, Andrea, where you said that you took a mental health day after the Euros, for example, like, do you think that would have been as easy to take a couple of years ago or to like have that conversation than it was like, yeah, like um, earlier this year? No, it wouldn't have been easy to take a couple of years ago. It, it, w- it was actually, it was a, a difficult day, but it was, I didn't feel like I was alone and I felt like I could have a conversation with, you know, my line manager or people above me to say, you know what, I feel really down. This has affected me. Um, I'm going to check out for the day. Whereas a couple of years ago, something like that had happened. Um, no, I don't feel, com- I don't think that I would have, you know, spoken openly about it. I would have kind of just pushed through, had a good night's sleep and then tried to forget it the following day. Um, and I feel like it's not just people of color because the meetings I did go to that day, everybody felt the same. Everybody felt down and out, be them white, be them Asian, be them black. Everyone was feeling the same kind of way. So, yeah, I, I think the needle has moved slightly. I, I think uh, to the question, I think it's like, it depends on the, the level that you look at it at, right? So if, if we're looking at it at um, like, Lower, like within a business, lower levels or like within social and that sort of thing, I would say, yes, there's been a lot more coming up. Um, a lot more groups are forming. Um, like I've seen a lot more groups around like Black Creators Matter. That's a big like Twitter group. Um, I've seen the Black, Black, Black Bloggers Matter and like all these different groups and they're creating more partnerships with brands. Uh, because I guess, um, it's sort of th- this, this moment within history sort of told brands, Hey, this is a demographic that we can focus on and, you know, do something well with. And hence th- these things have become profitable and, and these organizations have come up within companies though. And I, to be honest, I'm still learning about this myself. I, I, I think I've noticed personally, right. There's a large amount of, of different faces on lower levels, like, like, like at my level, like exec and manager level, I see a lot more faces, but the more I look up, um, the less, change I see and change at the highest level obviously is very difficult because somebody has to leave or die right so <laughs> you, you know you're not gonna that's an honest way to put yeah. it <laughs> I mean let, let's be frank you know like the people who have the money right who are who are paying everyone's bills right you know for them to move, this is going to take a large movement to say the least. So, but yeah, I think you get the point, right? Just it's happening at differently at different levels. This is, this is a point that I, I used to get quite frustrated on. Um, it's a lack of retention, the lack of senior people of color. But then I think every ch- change doesn't just happen overnight. And the fact that you're seeing, you know, so many, you know, so many, black people at entry level is a good thing. It just means that we have to figure a way out within the media industry to retain them and to keep them within the industry. Whereas before, um, you know, we were all kind of just leaving as you kind of got to sort of mid-level. Everyone was kind of just leaving and going to other industries or other jobs. The fact that we now have a good amount of, you know, diversity at you know entry level it just means that hopefully one day the change will happen as people get senior i mean when i started in the industry 
I don't think there were many people at entry level, mid-level or senior level. So I think it is frustrating that you can't see people, um, senior people at the top, but I do think that in time it will change and it will get better. We just have to keep on having these conversations and, you know, companies need to figure out a way to retain them, be that mentoring or, you know, I feel like I harp on about this all the time, but um, yeah, it's just my view. Yeah. I think just to build, I mean, look, just to build on that, right. Uh, People have their personal goals and companies have their company goals, right. It's just trying to make sure that those two things align in order to fill out those top levels, because in truth, People are going to turn over. That's just the industry. Quite a lot of people will, you know, like you said, leave and go do different jobs or go to other organizations and companies. You know, if the goal is to fill, you know, the upper ranks with a more diverse group of people, it needs to be that, you know, one, you, know, you increase the volume of people who are vying for that opportunity. So make sure there are different people and, you know, who have the opportunity to get there. So if you know, fill up the, the lower levels, yes, but it's also take off taking applications from a wider source. But then I think too, and you know, this is a tricky bit. It's, it's making sure that it's as attractive as possible for people who could potentially fill those roles to stay with the organization. And, you know, part of it is mentorship, but then part of it is actually, you know, what, what is it in their, in their goals that, you know, you need to make sure that you're meeting as a company to make sure that it is attractive to those people. And I think that goes for every group, really. This company is, by the way, really, there's loads of opportunities if people just punch through and try and go for them. I, I think, you know, actually, people need to be more brave about how they progress through to the next level. Be more uncomfortable about where you're at and think about, actually, how do I push further and further and further? You know, over six years, I've had a great career at Wavemaker. You know, Max was there before that. There hasn't really been many barriers of me moving to the next level, and it, it's actually been really fruitful. Um, I, I think it's not completely, but how do you emulate those people who are in charge who think that they're entitled to those roles and just push and fight for it no matter what and just seem to get it? Because I, I think everyone's seen it, right? Everyone's been in the group interview and saw that one person that had that attitude and somehow got the role anyway. How can we? figure out our version of that to have more of that attitude to push through and say, actually, I'm going, I'm here to do great things. and I'm moving forward. Um, I've seen a couple of people at junior levels with that potential. It's just you know, do more of it, push forward, push forwards. And, you know, I think we'll be surprised. I think we have to take some responsibility for it too. Yeah, completely agree. And, you know, with, within my five years, five, six years at WaveMaker, it's been exactly the same for me. Um, I can attest to, you know, moving laterally, moving upwards, yeah, there's been no barriers. Yeah, no, definitely. I think as you guys kind of mentioned and alluded to, it's a long-term like plan, a long-term thing. Like something that's going to change overnight. And even if, yeah, if there is kind of more diversity at entry level, you know, hopefully one day, whether that's 10, 20 years down the line, that would then mean it's actually, you know, more diversity across mid-level and senior level and entry level, you know. Um, kind of then moving that's kind of like a step forward. Kind of my last kind of question that I wanted to ask um, from each of you guys. Uh, within, let's say, kind of the next um, five years, what are the kind of things that you like to see happening um, to kind of improve the situation for Black British people, both in terms of like at a wider social level and also as like a more kind of media-specific level um, as well, which is quite a big question. So, yeah, you can take your time um, to answer that one. One thing for me would definitely be um, the education piece, um, bringing up two uh, little girls 
um, it's made me realize, I mean, I didn't go to school in the UK, um, but I was taught English history in Zimbabwe, where I'm from, for some reason. Um, and the history that they're getting taught, you know, and the narrative that they're being taught is very different to my actual view as after being an adult and educating myself. I think changes in the education system is probably the one and only thing. If I could ask for one thing, it would be that. It would be getting, you know, an unbiased view of slavery, of literally, you know, everything. We went to... um the British History Museum the other day with the kids. And um, they kind of, you know, there's a little exhibition there that kind of speaks about, um, you know, that they've realized that slavery is part of history and that, um, you know, they'd like to show things that, you know, I can't remember, not articulating properly, but, you know, they want to show things that about black black history that, that slavery is part of. And, um, there were six items in the exhibition, six items. And you look around and you think how much of the stuff, like it, this can't be true that out of this whole museum, six items come from slavery. And it, it was a, a picture um, of how, you know, slaves boarded ships and it was um, a diary um, that a slave had written. But you look at all the exhibitions and you think there's, there's no ways that that you know, didn't has some form or, or did, you know, didn't come from slavery in some way, shape or form or this or that. So I think for me, it is changes in the education system would be my one and only point. No, but I think that's a really good point, right? It, it's, but then I guess where are the scholars who are like taking an unbiased view of the world and telling that story? You know, it, I was reading like a really interesting article about actually you know, most of you know, most of Europe's like sailing capability was built on exploring the West African coast. Like, that, that, there's bits of that that you really ignore. It wasn't the fact that they were sailing ships to Asia and to the Americas. It was like actually no, they were sailing in and out of Africa and trading. You know, where's that story? You know, when we think about the story of the three kings, like you know, the nativity, the three kings. One of the kings was you know it was a black you know, wise man. So you know, where, where, at what point in history did that get played down? You know, there's 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 a certain amount of whitewashing, and it's not, you know, it's it's not something unique to Africa and the history of Black people. It's just a very British way of dealing with things. If you think about the Catholic Church and the Church of England, you know, when you know, the country turned into a Protestant nation and they went in and they painted you know, these beautiful ornate churches and they took down crosses and gold, you know, they come in, you know, people come in and they remove the history of different people. It's, you know, we probably need to open up, right. And take an honest look at the past and figure out actually what's the true story that we played, you know, who, uh, you know, who played an instrumental role and how much of a role did they play? And I, th I think we've also got to tell stories beyond the slavery because mm -hmm. we were more than just slaves, yeah, you know, Exactly. Africa yep. you know, is it's a rich continent with a very rich backstory far beyond that. You know, there were black pharaohs in Kush. You know, I've said this before in other conversations, but like, where are those stories? Where's that history? You know, how do we you know, talk talk about you know, the kings of West Africa and the gold that they brought? You know, what was the? You know, I, I don't know how when it will come, but it feels like yes, education is the answer. Yeah, you know, but the, the professors, the teachers, they need to start learning a bit more. Completely agree. And I, uh, so I had, I had two points that came to mind, right? So the first one to the, to the previous question, actually, I wasn't able to, to chip in there, but, um, 
I think one of the greatest things, or not the greatest things, one of the most crazy things that institutional racism has done, right, is is tell people, is get rid of people's ideas or beliefs that they can do something, right? Um, and what that basically means is that you have kids or people my age and or slightly younger, when they reach a certain point, it's not that um, the opportunity isn't there, it's that they just never thought of themselves as put in that as someone that can be put in an opportunity. And you see it very often when you talk to people, right? Like there's a chance, you know, if you want to get a raise or promotion, right? The chance is there. And I, I spoke to a couple of people within the agency about this and the chance was there. They were just like, oh, I just, I don't think it's right for me. I don't think I can do that yet. But someone else I'm sure would be like, yes, if there's a chance for a raise, I want that right now, right here. Cause they, they feel like they deserve it. But for some reason, there's a mentality that's been sort of ingrained in some people where they don't feel like they're worth that opportunity. Um, and I, I think that's one of the biggest stunts to progression uh, from, from my understanding. Um, but in terms of the conversation that's happening right now, I think, yeah, like I agree with everything that's just been said. It, it's one of those things where it's kind of weird how black history, and when we say black history, we're not just, like you said, talking about slavery or, American history, even British history, we're talking about black history as a global thing because black people, you know, went forth and multiplied a lot. Um, I can say it as a Nigerian, we're everywhere. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, for some reason, our history is not as respected as something that's worth telling. But at the same time, if you look at Alexander the Great, if even if you look at Greek philosophers, a lot of them studied in ancient Egypt. They studied uh, a lot of our old cultures, right? But that, we forget that all of a sudden. So um, practically speaking, for those histories to be looked at as important, I think there just needs to be, a, yes, a shift in education, but I guess a shift in in us as, a, as Black people or as quote-unquote minorities actually taking in, um, taking in products made for that specific thing, right? There are a lot of documentaries, there are a lot of books, there are a lot of history books around black history, but how many people are actually consuming them and going and buying them and supporting them and pushing them to show people that yes, these are of importance because there's a commercial value as well as an innate value in that. I think practically those are steps that people can take in order to, to push that narrative a bit more. And then you'll start to see larger stories being told um, historically because all of a sudden it will become relevant. Yeah, thanks um, very much for all of you guys' kind of opinions on that. I think the kind of point around education in particular is really interesting, one that I definitely um, agree with as well. Uh, I'm not sure if any of you guys seen, but I think they recently announced that black history is now mandatory within schools in Wales. Um, I'm not sure what that education will look like. Um, will it will just be slavery or be like, like as you guys kind of mentioned, like a more non-biased overview but even something like that is something that we wouldn't have seen, you know, five, ten years ago. Something like that um, kind of coming into fruition would hopefully, um, yeah, kind of like help to move the needle, even if only a little bit. Um, and yeah, hopefully we can see that kind of education increase over time and the whole kind of situation, I guess, um, improve as well as a result of that. That's it from me. Do you guys have any like, I don't know, closing statements, any final thoughts that you didn't manage to get off that you want to now or everyone all good? No, this was fun. It was a good conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. Yeah, thanks everyone. Good chat, guys. Good chat.